Hello and welcome to the review for the 22nd of November. I'm your host as always, Grim Mackay, as always, uh, most of the time. And I am joined by my illustrious co-host, it is uh, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian? I'm well, Graham. You sound like a man who's got his mum for a visit uh, already. How's it going? Do I, do I feel like oppressed? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that the, the sound of, of my voice? No, I mean, it's, been, it's been fine. It's been fine. We we have done some a lot of eating and drinking and restaurants, uh, calorie consumption, and uh, yeah, we're going to the first of the Christmas markets tomorrow. So that's opening in Bamberg tomorrow. So we're going to check that out. Get some glue vine. I, I do love a good uh, Christmas market. I had uh, one experience. Um, Obviously, you know, I've got a good friend in, in Boom, not so far away from you. And the first time I went to a Christmas market, probably end of November, start of December. Telegram, started snowing. It started snowing, like fresh new snow out there with your glue vine. It's reasonably cheap, but if you hand the cup back, they give you money back. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, I, was, I was quite merry and then... At the time, the German president was called Christian Wolf. So we went to, I think we went to some, supposed to be an Irish bar. I don't think it was an Irish bar, to be honest, but, but I was just remember showing, going around table to table, showing people my driving license, saying, look, my name is Christian Wolf as well. Um, went down the storm, to be honest, with the students of Wolf. So, yeah. So when you're speaking to your friend in home, do you say, I've got a good friend in Bamberg? Um. Yeah, I, I think I do mention you because always I got a, a couple of uh, friends in Germany. So when we go to Ulm next, there's, there's always the, the it's like two and a half hours, three hours. Yeah, I think that. Well, we, we tentatively, while well, we we talk about international tournaments, we tend to because we were supposed to go. So these are like my mates from uni. So we were supposed to go for like a trip the year I was forty. Obviously, he had COVID, and then Alan selfishly had a kid last year and it's also COVID as well so I think obviously we need to try and meet up at some point but we have pinpointed 2024 in Germany there will be games playing in Stuttgart for the European Championship so we're definitely going to go to like southern Germany then so, so Graham I expect to see you then uh, uh, I'll be washing my hair <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate but yeah what, what is your opinion in Glowing? because like there's a barrier for me because it feels like I'm drinking Lemsip. Oh, it's, it's hot. It's, so, you know, it's... in obviously, it's a it's a thing in Norway as well. And it, well, in Norway, it's it's almost like a lot of it's like liquor based and not wine based in Norway. So, so and they put a lot of well, I don't know if it's my mom anyway. She puts a lot of raisins into it. So it's <laughs> when I grew up with it, I was like. hmm. Uh, okay, but yeah, when I've had it in Germany, oh, I just love it. I know. I think it's I've always loved a really like hot drink, as in that kind of hot toddy kind of thing. I've, I've always loved that, especially just coming from a country that is that is cold and you have a proper winter. You, you can have that outside. You know, it's, it's like a tradition. Maybe not for football. Like if you go, everyone went to watch um, skating. You know, like the long distance skating is is a tradition to have like really hot drinks. It's kind of like um, what's the one you have in football games there? Oh, is it? I've completely forgot. Then Bovril. Bovril. It's just that stuff, but you know, uh, I love glow wine, and it's to have it like in a proper Christmas market. <sighs> it's perfect. 
I, I did. I, I quite like Limsip anyway. So you know, I'm just, even when you're okay. not sick. Yeah, it's just it's probably not healthy. No, I don't have it when I'm sick, but but yeah, no, Glavan alone. So 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 when we're home, we, we buy it from IKEA. Usually, uh, we get some from IKEA because that's that's quite close. I, the stuff you get at the proper Christmas markets have is like the star anise and cinnamon sticks floating in it and stuff, and that kind of puts me off a wee bit as well in case I choke. Yeah, it's probably got a bit of absent in as well. So, just, I mean, I think you can tell we're really avoiding speaking about that disastrous <laughs> World Cup. Not that we're going into the specifics of what's in Gloving, uh, but I guess, I guess we better get there. I mean, it's a bit. Today was a really. I think it was a really hard day for people that care about uh, yeah. social justice. Uh, yeah. People care about other people, I would say. Um, with obviously England coming out saying that they're not going to be wearing the, the rainbow armband. And I don't know, like, I, I only saw the kind of narrative of the, or the discourse about taking a knee at the very beginning when it was like Colin Kaepernick. So afterwards, when it was getting done in the, the, the Prem and stuff, I wasn't really aware of what, what it was what it was getting done for. But for me, it was a Black Lives Matter thing. And now, mm-hmm. is it just, uh, are England just saying, okay, we'll take a knee, and that's like, I don't know, it's kind of like saying your prayers and just thinking, like, save the whole world, you know? It's, it seems a bit, I don't know. I mean, what, did, what did you make it today? I think the whole taking a knee in Black Lives Matter thing is it's probably a whole other podcast that, you know, <laughs> the two of us probably be not well equipped to, to talk a length about, but I, I think for me, how I saw the knee specifically is that it, 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 it wasn't should have very much been about Black Lives Matter in terms of the racism, institutional discrimination of black people specifically, and obviously starting in America, but also in, in Europe. And it, it kind of became, and I think the um, Premier League players, to the credit, you know, Embraced that and and found a connection with that, like the, the professional athletes in in America who who were doing it, and then it kind of became. It's kind of like I felt it was almost like a wee anti book kind of backlash. Especially we're talking about just two years ago, but I think especially at the height of the Brexit mania and the absolute shit show that was going on in terms of. You, you couldn't even have uh, a discussion with oh, Black Lives Matter, and oh, you know, without every single right wing tosspot coming up, and by them I mean half the government uh, coming out and saying stupid stuff about it. So it's almost almost got sanitized down first to anti racism, and then is now it's just kind of you know, hey, inclusivity. Um, so, so that's one thing, but obviously we kind of planned. And we're kind of probably going so many different directions here and be a bit all over the place. But I think initially we, we had planned today to talk about Hugo Lloris, right? Because mm-hmm. he'd come out and say, look, I'm not going to wear the armband, you know, the one love armband, because, uh, <laughs> because obviously when, when you're in a different culture, you should respect that culture. And when people come to France, we ask them to respect our culture. And I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it, it, beyond words, somebody to to think that's an acceptable way to, to even I say like Hugo Lloris just it's one of those wishy washy 
it almost sounds wishy-washy, but something is is more something much worse underneath that as well. It's like something Keir Starmer would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, but it kind of says, ah, yes, homosexuality. Uh, you know, LBGT. It's actually, you know, it's a culture thing, and it means it almost makes it sound like. Or, you know, in this country, you take your shoes off before you go in. Or you, you bow in, you know, it's a certain respect. Like, can you imagine going, oh, some sports people did this, but, you know, the, the French football team in the 1980s saying, oh, you know, there's, we're going to go and play football in South Africa. And yes, I'm not going to wear an anti-apartheid armband because, you know, we have to respect the culture of South Africa. Even at that point, you wouldn't. But the fact that Hugo Lloris can easily equate fundamental human rights, and let's be clear, what we've talked about, homosexuality is illegal in this country. Right? That's for me. That also that is on par with you know apartheid is on par with some of the worst things you you can do. So to kind of equate that with culture and say, oh, it's got to respect the culture. Fuck you, Hugo. I mean, really, fuck you. And go fuck yourself, Hugo. Really? So, but I mean, it, 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 so, so that was bad. So we're gonna go with that. I said, like, you know, but I, I, and, and then maybe we would have gone on to say, okay, this one Arban thing is a bit wishy washy, and it's you know, it's you know, it's been an it's been acceptable protest and blah blah blah. But today, to not even be at that stage where they go, ah, okay, we're not gonna do it. It's just utterly pathetic, utterly pathetic. It's just the thing about respecting the culture as well. It's like this is not this is not a Qatari World Cup. This is a FIFA World Cup that happens to be taking place in Qatar. So you have the culture of the FIFA World Cup. That's what should be being respected in the first place because the FIFA World Cup is it should be something. I, on paper, it should be something that's inclusive for all people that want to take part or be supporters of the games. No matter your your race, religion, or the way you identify, so it's not. It shouldn't be a case of they get to dictate the culture. As soon as they put a name forward for hosting the FIFA World Cup, they should be adopting the culture of the world of football. And and I, and I think Rim, I think that is in theory what they did, and that's been the line all along, mm-hmm. saying. Okay, you know, they're going to have the World Cup, but, you know, everybody will be safe. You know, alcohol, yeah, be fine. You know, of course, LBGP LBGP, uh, plus people can come and be safe. And that's not even before you start on American stuff. So all along, there's been kind of signed up for that. (laughs) And then I'll probably include myself in the naivety, being naive here, that you think, okay, it's going to be a sanitized Bosch Washington for a couple of months. Everybody be happy, you know, uh, and people go there and say, oh, it's, you know, it's actually not too bad. And then obviously the same things, you know, quote, no quote, the bad things will start happening again afterwards. But, you know, for a couple of months, you know, everybody pretend that it's, it's FIFA one love. Maybe I was naive. But what you see now is just the Qatari government just basically saying, "Oh fuck you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he, uh, oh um, you didn't think uh, our um, you know um, gay hating um, slave built society would you can imagine just you know with 
really, I mean, some of the okay, people might like women in general, you know, you're not allowed to live with a man you're not married to or in a family with. It's, you know, the, the stories about people who's experienced sexual abuse in these countries and they get punished, you know, in, in terms of, so it's a horrible country and a horrible country shows that they are a whole horrible country after all. And that, I think that's the headline. I know, and yeah. there's, there's, there's so many different interesting strands you can go down here because, you know, people will say, you know, the Western world needs to look at its own history and its own what's happening in the Western world. And you just can't say, you know, why are these things being specifically brought up just because of the Middle East? I think there's a, uh, and it, you know, <laughs> there's absolutely truth in that because there's very often to go, oh, Middle East bad, Western great. I mean, we, we know that's not true. We know the Western world is quote unquote fucked, fucked up as well in a lot of different ways, but it's an absolute, there's not an inch of, inch of excuse in there that is still an abhorrent country with abhorrent human rights. And there's absolutely no point doing any sort of what about through this. Qatar is a horrible country. And and they're a horrible country because they treat people like this. And you can go say, well, what about the Western world 30, 40 years ago? Like, for example, in Scotland, I think homosexuality was only legalized in 1981. And you go, yeah, that's absolutely part of Scotland's history. You know, you have, um, it was up until like 2000, 2001, when you had uh, Section 28 even, and, and stuff like that. But all of that, it's just a what about when you talk about Qatar, because that, that is, it's absolutely horrible country. And it, it, to, up to a point, I haven't gone for the sports people and the footballers who go there in the end. I don't think it's up to them, like to, to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to boycott it. That's fair enough. But don't today that, you know, all those countries have come together and said, okay. The back down essentially is what probably happened there is the Qatar government has said to FIFA, no, no, FIFA or oh, FIFA didn't want any controversy. He said, no, we're not going to have it, even a tiny little thing like that. And the players have gone, okay, that's fine. And the, the FAs will hide behind FIFA because the coward FAs, the players, a lot of them will again hide behind their FAs and their teams, and I have slightly more sympathy for the, sympathy for the players than the FAs, but I also have, you know, just if you want to see Harry Kane wearing a rainbow armband in the Premier League this season, I ask out, well, fuck you. I mean, because if you couldn't do it, if it was a risk of a slight personal consequence for yourself, a very, very slight one, I, I don't think there would have been any. I think FIFA would have backed down, especially if those 10 countries came together and say, I'm going to wear no anyway. So what are you going to do about that? Nothing would have happened. But they were all fucking cowards and they didn't do it. And that's, as you said, it's been difficult enough watching this World Cup. And I think, I think we've probably, you can start a whole other strand of discussion, but I, I really urge you to go and listen to a good friend of the pod, John McKenzie. He was on his TIFO podcast. So they do a live stream after the end of each game. And they did one last night and John talked really eloquently about how, how how to watch this World Cup, how to engage with it. And that maybe people maybe thought, oh, as it started, okay, 
that on ease maybe go a bit away and you get lost in the football. And I think John was so right saying like, no, you, you, we can watch this, but you, sh- you should feel uncomfortable at the same time. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of like a default position that I put myself in as well. But I think today has just been horrible. I think it's been horrible for, for those reasons. And there's a lot of stuff going on with the game. Some of the games haven't been really good. For some reason, there's 25 minute overtime in <laughs> most of the when there's not big issues. But today has been utterly depressing in terms of the whole actually being in Qatar. And oh, yeah, they're horrible people. They're a whole bold country anyway. And Surprise. it's just going to so. be every day is like there's just a, a series of nuggets of terrible things. Like just even guys try to get into grounds with rainbows on their t shirts getting turned away. And yeah, so uh, yeah, to, to show that. So Grant Wall, who's Grant Wall, is, you know, he used to be, I think, was, was chief sports writer or one of the editors of Sports Illustrated. He's, he's essentially. One of the biggest sports journalists in the world, I think. He's got almost a million Twitter followers, you know, so he's an American journalist. I've got a million in one. Uh, I, I honestly believe that, that you have a burner, that you are somebody really famous on the internet. Um, and he basically is wearing a rainbow logo to get into USA, um, Wales, which he's going to cover. And he was pretty much detained for detaining the old at security for 25 minutes before he got in. He's got his phone taken away. Eventually, you know, it was this security manager who came and let him in and he got an apology. He's, you know, he, he wrote a quick story, but again, you go. This kind of thing where FIFA kind of made a, a an image, oh, you, you can come up with rainbow colors, of course you can. But the security guys at the stadium will not let you do that. And it's not that you can get stuff like that in sporting arrangements, big ones in, you know, in Commonwealth games as well <laughs> and things like that. You don't want political slogans, but it's just the fact that it's part of it. It's just an, a, a care Starmanism, I guess, as you said, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. So you don't even want to say that, you know, you know, that homosexuality should be all right. That part of it is just, nefarious mm. and being in a totalitarian regime where any sort of display of rainbow colors or acceptance of homosexuality can get you in you know life danger you know dangerous to his life so it's just that's the stuff that happened when you have things like this in uh a country like that and to be honest everybody who comments on stuff like that and says so oh, it's their country their culture go fuck yourself again because it's it's just it's just not fucking on yeah i mean <clears throat> I think it's a difference between choosing to go to Qatar on holiday and then mm-hmm. complaining about the culture mm-hmm. as opposed to choosing to go to the World Cup because no one's going to this World Cup because it's held in Qatar. Yeah. That's a by like it's people don't want it to be in Qatar, they just want to go to the World Cup and that's I think yeah, that's I a think, big difference for me. You and me, I mean I have been on holiday to, to countries that you know are questionable like i've been to china for example is probably one of them um and 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 other countries as well so it's not and i think if if you as a gay person went to on holding to qatar and dubai you know like you'd know as unfortunately gay people have always had to do they've always had to be very careful um in places you know the Especially new places, pretty much anywhere, even even in the safe places, as as we've horribly seen the last couple of days, 
you know, it's, it's still not be safe to get big A, but in countries like this, they know that. But as you say, this is supposed to be, you're not supposed to be able to arrange a tournament like this, the, the biggest tournament. I think the World Cup is bigger than the Olympics, to be honest. And it's the biggest sporting tournament in the world. And you have this, and probably I, I was naive as well to say that, okay, because I, I, I thought I'll be one, two months and everybody will be fine. Everybody will turn a blind eye, blah, blah, blah. But no, they just show themselves for the regime they actually are. And it's, yeah, it's horrible. Part of me kind of like wants there to be bad flashpoints because I don't want this to ever happen again. Uh, and obviously with Saudi Arabia, rumoured to be going for the 2030. <laughs> I mean, yeah. do you think, what do you think the, the, the reaction from the world of football would be if we finish this World Cup? There's been loads of flashpoints, loads of controversy, and then FIFA award 2030 to Saudi Arabia. What, what do you think the reaction from the, the world of football would be? I'm afraid it'll be a lot of noise, a lot of hand-wringing, and then they go, oh, well. You know, we'll, we'll insist on wearing the armband this time. Saudi Arabia's just bought Newcastle. You know, it got waved through. You know, have to release proper. And got waved through. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of fans will be really upset about that in the Premier League. A lot of fans would pretend to be upset, but if Saudi Arabia probably invested in the football day club, they'd be so happy. The rest of them doesn't give a shit. So uh, I, I honestly, I, I can see it could, be, it could happen because a lot of the way Infantino and Blatter before him gained power is that they you know, specifically went out to put the World Cup and in certain areas, in, in certain regions. But at one point you go, well, it should be, you know, technically, you know, the World Cup should go around the world and where it's placed as well. But Infantino and, and, and the next one, and the one before him, the one after him, will happily, you know, push World Cups to, to, to horrible places because that's, they know that's a way they can be kept in power if they're willing to. I mean, Infantino's been living in Qatar, you know, the last 18 months or something like that. And he, he, they'll do anything, they'll put it anywhere. So I, I think there's absolutely a chance it can happen inside Saudi Arabia. I wonder if Newcastle fans can hear <laughs> their uh, Saudi garb as they go to the World Cup. It's, it's also like, as I said, I've had a sympathy for the players up until now. And you kind of go the night before you first in your World Cup start, I get that you want to be focused as well. But it, it just, I think every single like show races in the red card Rainbow laces, all that in the Premier League from now on. To me, it's just tokenism. Yes, um, we were kind of afraid it was always that anyway, but it is because you know I've, I've, I've Stephen talked a lot about this today. Like 1968, right? Mexico Olympics, and you had Tommy Smith, John Carlos, obviously in. Won the gold medal and the bronze in Mexico 68 Olympics, you know, and they did the Black Panther salute. You know, it's a real iconic moment in sport, right? And 
as have you know I've read about a credible opera at the time, you know, they you know they came home, you know, ostracized from you know American sports and so on, but they made a stand. You know, it's, it's very similar to what Colin Kaepernick went through as well. You know, took a knee, not really played in NFL after that. But the man who took silver in that race, you know, was an Australian called Peter Norman. And he came on and he, he wore the badge. I think it's like a Black Power badge. And he stood there in, in sympathy with them. He showed his solidarity for that. And, and for that, he was ostracized from Australian sport. Like he, he made all the qualifying times for 72 Olympics, didn't get picked. When Sydney had the Olympics in 2000, he wasn't even invited. It was the US track team that had to invite him as their guest to do it. And it was only really a few years after that, because I remember I spent a few months in Australia in 2006. I remember the stories about him then, like he was finally getting the recognition and it was shown the, the bad treatment he had. And all he did was show solidarity for another community. So then you're talking about the, the tiny sacrifice it would be for, say, okay, Harry Kane. First of all, you know, Virgil van Dijk, you know, Captain Manuel Neuer for Germany, Granit Saka, Simon Chair for Denmark, to wear that armband anyway. Like the, the, the symbolism, that kind of meek tokenism you were going to do anyway, that was sanctioned and approved. Uh, to be honest, it was just that tokenism. You could have done something iconic there. You can have actually actually showed solidarity if you, if say the English team, or maybe even the teams like a team like Denmark, who's you know the next day or a team like Germany the next to say come together as a team. Like no, our captain's going to wear the armband, and whatever happens, we'll take that as a team. Make that statement. I, I, first of all, I think FIFA backs them, but even if they don't, what do you, what do you want to be remembered as? You know, in, in terms of World Cup, okay, you, you get banned for one, two, two, couple of games in the World Cup. I, I don't think you do, but maybe. Well, imagine doing that and taking that stand. That could be something as iconic as 68. But no, you're just going to back down because, you know, football associations, your football association does it and FIFA does it because, you know, you, you want to try and, you know, players get in many games in the Qatar World Cup. And I think... It's just depressing because in those kind of situations, we kind of talk a bit about this. You know, we want Celtic to be something more. You know, it's, you know, we talked about Celtic should show something and be beyond what's just standard or what can be expected. And you kind of just want that from some footballers as well. And if, if one of them did it and one team did it, it would be such a symbolic thing. But it seems like they're all going to be cowards not do it. So, you know, I, I would love for so. Come with me on this journey. It's zero zero between uh, England and USA. CCV comes on as a sub. Corner kick last minute scores a bullet header to win one nil for USA and reveals a t-shirt with a message on underneath. How good would that be? I'd, I'd love just for one player to do that after all that and say, "Look, do you think they're being checked?" Because I can imagine someone like Leon Goretzka. Because I mean, he obviously had the thing with the hungry fans. Uh, where he was kind of standing up uh, against them, and I just yeah. wonder if, like, there there will ha- there will have to be a there will be a rogue player in each of the squads that's unhappy yeah. with his decision, 
So for me, I'm just wondering if there's FIFA delegates checking what players have got under their shirts. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've had a proper go at them now. But I, I think if somebody, if the team set plans or player plans, something like that, and save it for a great moment, great. You know, I, I think hopefully on reflection, you, you get people, some team planning that if happened, I think it'd be great because I think in the end, it's just be such a statement. It would be proper solidarity to do it. Proper solidarity is when you do something that might actually have a consequence for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everything else is really tokenism. And I, I'm not saying everybody should do that all the time because I, I probably, you know, I've, you know, a lot of us wouldn't be in that position or we wouldn't want to take that chance. And it's maybe a bit of hypocrisy there, but. These are international footballers who most of them are millionaires and they'll have the whole of the media behind them. They will have all of the uh, football industry behind them. It, it, we talk about personal consequences. The personal consequences for any of these players will be incredibly minor. And even just from a purely you know personal point of view, they'll, they'll probably gain on that, you know, to take that tiny risk. And for some, none of them to have done it, yeah, it's just really, really depressing. And I think the the latest uh, bit of depressing news is uh, the idea that FIFA have banned Belgium from having the word love. On the, I think on the inside of the shirt collar is that is that the inside or outside? I, I, I believe it was inside, but I wasn't sure. What do, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I was going to make a joke about love, eat, pray, or something. Maybe one of them could be like uh, allowed. It's just, I mean, they obviously so scared either they're so scared about any sort of thing overshadowing it or they're just going nah screw you you know putting their foot down and either way I, I, I really don't see what it gains FIFA I don't think this always oh, this doesn't do anything good for FIFA as an organization what it might do well for are people like Infantino and people who wants to do next who wants to keep power and the next person will go and they can essentially show to any sort of regime in the world, it's fine, we got you back, you can trust us, we're on your side. Because doesn't this doesn't look good for FIFA as an organization at all. If they'd allow these things and if they'd actually, you know, almost support them and said, even as that, that bear thing was probably a warning sign. Mm. In the end, and it was kind of like a, a wee canary in, in, in the mind that says, because I thought if the one thing FIFA loves uh, is sponsors, right? They would go to some length of denying you a drop of water if it's not in a bot at $20, right? Mm. Anything. Made by Nestle. <laughs> and for them to bend over for uh, and throw Budweiser. Things up to the bus, you kind of go. Of course, they're going to throw, you know, essentially gay people, you know, migrant workers, everybody else on the bus. Of course, they were going to do that. So it was stupid of me to think anything else. Um, but it doesn't gain the FIFA as an organization. But this might be good for people at the top of FIFA who wants to stay at the top of FIFA. And I think it's in the end, it's maybe just as simple as that. I saw that uh, Budweiser are apparently going to give the beer from the World Cup that doesn't get sold to the winning nation, and then they're, they're going to fee- they're going to sue FIFA. So that's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you hope 
there is a consequence, and I, I know you know company lawsuits against FIFA is probably the the, the, the least cons, you know, <laughs> the absolute bottom tier of consequences. But yeah, I, I hope it does as much damage to FIFA as possible. I hope it does as much damage to Qatar as possible. Because one of the things, um, and again, I, I'm leaning on podcasts to people a lot smarter than to me. There was another aggressive <laughs> left. I love the aggressive left. Let's go into that later. Um, there's another TFO podcast. I'm not actually getting any shares in TFO, but um, John, <laughs> John McKenzie had an interview with James Montagnu, who's obviously, uh, if you haven't followed James on Twitter, he's he's just traveled around the world for a couple of decades, just writing about football anywhere. And he'd been in Qatar and talked about, written about football in Qatar and the Middle East before, you know, to go to walk up. But yeah, John had a podcast more recently when they kind of talk about the Qatari government probably regret now having going for the World Cup because what what has and has happened up until now is that you, as somebody said, it was like don't have a house party if you don't want to see people, if you don't want to let people see the state of your kitchen, right? So, and I, and I think there's there's a truth in that in that the Qatari government when they get it for this or this is great you know great pr sports washing but to some credit to the people involved in here there's been a really hard focus on migrant rights lbgt um circumstances and you know situation for women and everything and that spotlight has probably been very hard for the qatari government to deal with and they probably compromised a lot more for them thought that's not any credit to do for FIFA, but it has been over that years. And maybe there's a lot to do with, you know, people being annoyed that Qatar got to walk up and maybe they started it, but there has been a spotlight on it. And I think James was James Martin, you said in this podcast, like if they could do it over again, they probably wouldn't have the World Cup because of that spotlight. And what's it they this focus to put them under? But you kind of just feel at this point when it's like the last week, they go, well, fuck you then. Because we never intended to do this anyway. Now it's here and nothing's going to stop it. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people saying, like, even two, three, four years ago, that the Qatar World Cup's not going to happen. You know, England might have to be ready. And that was a lot to do with the way they got the World Cup in terms of the corruption and everything around that and the, the, those allegations. But it's a lot of time we didn't think this was going to happen. But now it is happening. You kind of go, Qatar government, go, ah, fuck you. And there's always the internal mechanics in terms of, the organizing committee and the Qatari organized committee and the people do that and the actual regime, which is obviously interlinked, but in totalitarian regimes or for, or for you know these kind of places, if the man on the top, because there's always a man clicks his fingers, it's going to happen, mm. you know, no way. So and that's, that's probably what's happened here as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a few years ago, if you asked the, the man on the street, uh, tell me about Qatar, they would probably think yeah, it's a, a rich oil state, yeah. fancy airline. I mean, they probably wouldn't have much of a negative impression on them at all. They probably wouldn't know anything yeah. about their, their politics, but now uh, Qatar have just opened it up for the whole world to see that they're a small, small nation. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't... Yeah. On you go, sir. No, no, that's... I, th- I think that's essentially it. And then they... That's... You know, that's what's happened to them, and... 
<laughs> no, it's a good, yeah, no, it's 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 just depressing all around. It's it's hard to kind of get the words out of it, but uh, I think that's the one small thing out of it that it has put the spotlight on a horrible regime and that PR. Okay, it's probably more successful than we would like to hope, you know, because uh, a lot of people are fooled by it. A lot of people are happy to go to places like this on holiday a lot. And it's not, as I said, I don't, you know, I've been to countries that have very bad human rights as well. So I'm not going to sit and say that that's the wrong thing. But no, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, but you would have then hoped that all of that, all those years up until this would culminate in something like you went there and you stood proud and you actually, you wore an armband at least. Or even today, when the FIFA said, "Oh well, we might ban you," I was like, "Do it then," because I mean, there's, there's stuff in, in Norway. Obviously, that there was a, a, a genuine chance that Norway was going to boycott this, and I always said, like, it didn't qualify in the end. But there was there was a literal vote at the you know Norwegian FA AGM where essentially every single club that's in the league system, and it's like two, three hundred at least, right? Everybody has one vote, and if they vote for something. The FA will do that, and I think the vote and it was like something like two thirds voted against the boycott, but it was based on very clear promises from the Norwegian FA that they would use that kind of platform to highlight um, what's happening in Qatar. And I think fair like the Norwegian national team in the warm ups and stuff have been wearing shirts highlighting that and everything. The Norwegian new Norwegian FA president Lisa Klavanes, who's she is gay. She obviously went to Qatar. I think they had a FIFA conference there a few months ago and basically called every single called everything out. And and, and that was part of why the clubs in Norway agreed to not boycott it in the end. But you know, the very next speaker at that conference after Lisa Clavenis came up and said, I think it was like I don't want to throw Honduras under the under the country. I think it was from Honduras, just came and said, I oh, shouldn't have said that. This is not the platform for it. So <laughs> You know, so it's, but you, there was a hope that some countries like Denmark would go and like make a statement and at least that would be kind of the crowning of that, putting that focus on Qatar and okay, we'll go and do the World Cup here, but this is what they're like. And we're going to show that to everybody during the games as well. And it's just been completely shut down and the countries, the players have folded and it's yeah. just it's sad. People seem to hate protests when they actually interfere with things i mean i think we've seen that with the stop oil like people just get angry when protests are inconvenient they want a protest to be a convenient thing they can ignore they they want it to be a tokenism they want to feel good about themselves if there's any sort of has i mean it's the same with strikes right and people if you you know a lot of people say oh yeah i think nurses deserve better pay or you know, bus drivers, train drivers deserve better to pay, but if it's in, small inconvenient to them, um, a lot of people thought, oh, people don't like that. And I think maybe because of the climate and then strikes are more accepting that, but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's yeah, the same thing. I mean, and then just oil stuff is the same thing as well. My mum was so. complaining the other day about uh, the post being on strike in December coming up to Christmas, and that's the most inconvenient time. And I'm like, that's the point. Yeah. 
That's so a, it's, it's, it's part of the same coin. Before we get on to talking briefly about the actual football of the World Cup, because it has been humming. I mean, if anyone ever needed beer to get through football matches, I think these these games have been examples of them. I just wanted, we, we were planning to talk about this last week, and I just wanted, you don't know that this question is coming, so I'm not expecting a full thoughtful Christian response. But mm, we, 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 cl- <laughs> we clearly know that the kind of, the, 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 the way that people excuse things like Newcastle being taken over by the Saudis, and we we had it with the guy that was on the cynical with yeah. us, and I'm not I'm not blaming him, but he was basically saying, well, the hope is that they can kind of change Saudi Arabia with their Western uh, cultural views, and we seen we can clearly see that it's complete bullshit. We knew it was going to be bullshit at the time, but that's what people use as a kind of like coping mechanism. Liverpool up for sale. On a scale of one to ten, how worried are you? Yeah, and I think initially it seems like they're up to sell. The sign was up. The official line now is that like looking for investors, right? But you know, you are worried because he's rich enough to buy Liverpool. <laughs> you know, it's that's why these clubs cost so much money now that there's very few companies, like even even when like. Liverpool at the moment is is owned by you know a hedge fund really you know in, mm. in many sense of the word like the hyper capitalists it's not exactly a, a moral high ground there but at the time they bought Liverpool I think it was like three hundred million pounds probably talking at least I don't even know now just picking numbers three billion like overall maybe maybe a bit less than that but it's, it's ridiculous money so who, who can afford that what company what hedge fund can can afford that so you are worried that you know if, if it's Saudi Arabia had not bought Newcastle, did the minor well gone and bought Liverpool. And then the interest also we we've have uh, had Joe Blot from who's the chairman of Spiritual Chancler, which is like the Liverpool Supporters Group on a couple of times. And we had him on early this year to talk about how Liverpool is setting up a supporters board that and this come out after the you know the aftermath of the whole Super League fiasco that essentially Liverpool are agreeing to a supporters board that, you know, Spiritual Shankly will have a, a big say in that, that Liverpool can't do certain things without that board's approval. So that's things like, you know, starting joining the European League, uh, you know, leaving the Premier League and those kind of, and then they have to be engaged or consulted on some of the other ones. But there's some decisions Liverpool fans essentially would then have a, a slight veto. And I was speaking to Joe the other week and saying, like, you know, there's still things that, you know, there's lots of moving parts, but they would be, ex- you know, expected to be fully engaged on, on the new owners, but you didn't know if, if they would have a veto on it. So even in, in a club like Liverpool, who's actually got, actually got some sort of support to say, of course you're worried, you know, because you can have all the platitudes you want when people buy the club. And say, well, it's not going to be like this. It's, you know, this distance. Actually, we, you know, we go into this fully uh, considering Liverpool's ethos and blah, 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 blah. As soon as they own the club, they can do what they want. So, yeah, no, you are worried. And I was thinking, you know, there's Kristen uh, who had on the cynical. And if your club is owned by the Saudi Arabian state, really, I mean, it was so depressing because obviously you just 
you have a, you know, we sort of say if something like this happened to, to Celtic as well. Like you'd have a muscle memory of, of loving that club or being a fan of that club. And I don't think you can just give that up instantly. But at the same time, there will always be a huge black cloud or a black spot on it, I think, as long as that happens. And you kind of go, I, I think your enthusiasm would just start getting slowly you know, less and less from it. And that's just, again, that's just sad. And you, you never know, like, but no, it would be hugely depressing. And you see, like, most of Newcastle fans, Newcastle fans are just happy now, aren't they? And I, I, that's not even like a slight on, on Newcastle fans. I think any club in, in the Premier League roughly would be the same. And there's some dissenting voices, but as soon as you get the players in, as soon as you start winning games, as soon as you can tell yourself some stories that, you know, actually this is a good thing and, you know, blah, 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 you know, it's, it's that you can probably deny yourself into an existence, existence where you're a lot of fans are just, you know, fine with it. But, so yeah. would you prefer the North Korean investment fund or the Swedish investment Look, fund? Look, at least, at least they're communists. Uh, <laughs> and, but I mean, the Swedes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's I guess technically no, we could go and buy yeah. a club. I mean, the, the, honestly, the, the, the own the half of London in terms of real estate. So why not Liverpool? Maybe, maybe I technically would be yeah, owner of Liverpool. If no, it wasn't was for Thatcher, the Scottish investment firm with all its oil money could have bought Liverpool. I mean, what do you think? Makes it, I mean, we joke, but pretty much everything bad in Britain started with Thatcher really, didn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> you know, it was a bit of a clusterfuck before that as well, but to be <laughs> honest, that's where it started. So. so the games, so we've had four games now, is that right? Four? <laughs> yes. No, yeah, four. Yeah. I mean, I think technically in terms of playing time, it's been at least five. Yeah. But yeah, well, it's been time. four. Yeah. So it's Qatar. <laughs> Looked like an absolute amateur team, which was delightful to see. Uh, Ecuador beating them 2 0. And then the games today, we started off with England uh, pumping Iran, unfortunately, 6 mm. 2. And uh, then in the afternoon, we had Senegal. Was it Senegal, Netherlands? And then was. Uh, USA versus Wales. Anything that jumped out at you? Anything from a footballing point of view that you want to talk about? No, I mean, I, I watched Qatar, Ecuador yesterday. I watched most of uh, England, uh, Iran, uh, on my lunch break, obviously. And, but I haven't I hadn't had a chance to look at Senegal, Netherlands, and the USA yet. Um, so, but as, you know, as people have been saying about them in terms of the chances created in them and, and what's actually happened, is it's not been. It's not been great yet, and that, that is often the case with opening rounds. But there was always this like unknown whether having a World Cup right in the middle of the season, like a week after um, the last league game, would that lead to better football? Because players maybe are not as tired, and they're, you know they're not as you know had a long season, or does it just? lead because teams have had so little time to prepare it just leads to like such low risk um, football at all and maybe because there's no time to just go (laughs) just just be careful Uh, and so it could be a case that so far where it's really really early it's not playing quality doesn't seem to have been improved by just having it in the middle of the season So, so maybe there is something 
something in that having that four or five weeks that you have the team together and you can prep and it makes it more of an event as well, I think, in terms of that. So yeah, it's, it's signs are not good overall. And, yeah. and as I, I think I said earlier, like, like John said on the TV podcast that I, I was never going to watch this World Cup and not forget about everything else. I think we all going to have to accept that uncomfortableness while watching it. And I think that's, and that's probably the only way of watching it in a way as well. So I was looking forward to the football. And, I, it's, and you know, and especially as I talked about before, like, this is my, my two boys really proper first World Cup. They're really excited about it, you know, and they got like sticker albums and stuff like that. And it's, I wanted to create a World Cup for them. And I think because you know their age, we like you know, probably too young to kind of explain everything about it. Although you kind of try and hint towards some of it, but it's just and I, I want them to have a nice World Cup for it as well. And I, I think they will overall. But it's just I, I always accepted that I'm going to watch the football with a certain uncomfortableness. And but I'm still hoping it'll be fun. The football actually would be good, but it's you know. And maybe it will, maybe it'll pick up. <laughs> it's not looking great so far, Grim, I, to be honest. <laughs> I think there's also like a, a, I think our standards with club football nowadays, because club football is so, so strong. I mean, the, the, the leagues are, are, are crazy strong, especially the English Premier League at the moment. I think our standards have gone up so high that international football, even in the best of circumstances, is just never going to be as good. It's just. And, and I was, I was kind of like, I'm okay with that because I know that the World Cup isn't the best teams anymore. Like the best teams are the top of the Champions League. But what has been good, I think, enjoyable Europe, like international football the last few years, it's almost like not that it's turned into the Scottish League, right? But it is an element of it's not the best, but it might be the most fun. You know, it might be a bit crazy at times and it's, you get some upsets and you get weird things happening and, uh, you know, the quality of football isn't top class, but it's, you know, it's entertaining in the way that Scottish football usually can be, but just so far, it's, it's been the opposite in terms that it's not the best quality, but it's boring. Uh, and I, like in four games and, and the opening round of the international tournaments are usually a bit cagey and, and obviously it's, it's probably like at least, you know, the last round of the group stage was actually something is at, you know, might be decided on that day. So it'll pick up. But yeah, it's, um, so I still have a vague hope that I'll turn into the, the, the Scottish League at some point, but we'll see. I'm looking forward to Spain, Germany on Saturday, but I think that's about the only fixture I'm looking forward to at the moment. But we will move on from the World Cup now because we've got other fun news to talk about. <laughs> And that is we G V V. Yes, uh, a, a ray of sunshine, I guess. Oh, is it? No, no, it you've, is. You've 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 well, sent me some interesting stats, Christian. So let's let's talk. Yes, them. let's talk about stats because, I mean, this is funny, right? And at first, I was like, "Oh no, he's gone. This this just getting good." You know, they've cancelled the sh- it's cancelled the season. They had one more season. And it would have been fun and it would have been a great season. But then I was like, I've done you know, very rudimentary kind of stats in terms of how well fan brokers have done. And at one point I want to go, 
<laughs> we Gio is a donkey. <laughs> it's because it's funny, right? And it's the last few weeks have been really, really funny. It's always funny. But then I go look at some of this and I, I think about it and again, it's like, it's almost more funny because in a way, this might be the wrong decision. <laughs> and that's not to say like, okay, so for example, like I had a look like, so he's under from Broncos. Celtics had, uh, sorry, <laughs> Celtic has taken um, 17 points more. Mm-hmm. In the league since from Broncos came in, but even overall, if if you put the average points Rangers have taken on the from Broncos over those forty games and make it into the thirty eight game season, and that includes four derbies, it comes out at something like eighty seven point nine points. So eighty eight points if you put it into a thirty eight game season. Now that's you know it's. It's not great, but it's not, it's not terrible. You know, it's, it's, if you look about, you know, it, Rangers ended on 89 points last season. They ended on 77, or like, like Celtic ended on 77 the year before. It was, it was terrible. But if you look at something like the 1920 season, which has always got stopped short because of COVID, but Gerard's Rangers was on course to 87.8 points. In that season, so exactly the level that, that Gio's been under, and it was talked about. Obviously, if it hadn't been cut short, maybe Gerard would have been sacked. Maybe, but before that, they took seventy-eight points. They took seventy-three points. So just for fun, I had a look at you know um, under Gerard over his three and a half seasons there. Rangers took two point three six point per league game, and in that, obviously, the first season wasn't very good. The first season, obviously, they took lots of points, but overall. 2.36 points. Under from, of course, they've taken 2.30 points. So, it just, to be honest, obviously, Rangers had a big high in, in the COVID season. But if, if you look at the average over Gerard's tenure and the average over Van Bronckers, there hasn't really been any decline or improvement. It's been pretty steady, right, overall. And if you look at, like, Gerard. Before Gerard left, um, last season, they were taking 2.38 points per game. Under Van Broncos, they were taking 2.36 points per game. And this isn't, okay, they've taken 2.20. But again, Van Broncos hasn't improved things, but hasn't got any worse. Now, I think if you look at the teams, like range, this kind of ranges team as I see it, they've failed to reinvest and Gerard, when Gerard had them in 2021, okay, there's lots of other circumstances there as well. High nil and you know, high COVID and high Celtic board, everything else. But that was the peak of their powers anyway, the players that were there. And since then, those players, for whatever reason, you know, have declined a bit and they haven't reinvested. So you can argue make a case that Hambrokers had a poor squad to deal with. And in the reinvest, like the investments that have a good turn, and it's you can talk a lot about. I think from brokers is trying to play a style that doesn't fit suit the squad. You know, we talked about this before. Like I think his setup in the derby was hilariously bad. I don't think he's a great manager in any way, but I still think he's a pretty competent manager, and he's also was allowed to bring in how many people? 
five, like assistant coach, analysts, everything. So you put that in for a year and then, and okay, it hasn't been great. And I think the, the run in the Europa League was, was you know, unsustainable. <laughs> it still got to the Europa League final with Rangers. <laughs> and and it, they win the cup. And then again, like, and they're not, okay, they're, they're nine points behind now. Um, I think on the beyond the scoreboard, we'll, we'll dig into the numbers a bit as well. It's, it's obviously, I, I don't think they were winning the league in any way under Van Bronckhorst anyway at this point. So maybe it is that throw of the dice early mm-hmm. to do this. But it's it's the more I think about it, the more funny I think because I think I, I think you can very easily go out and get a worse manager than Van Bronckhorst yeah. as well, and the whole turnaround. So, so yeah, it's it's funny all around. Really, I think it's something that will be judged on who the successor is. Yeah, um, that's mean, fair. Just looking at the, the, the stats you sent me, it with that average point total that you you said that would have won the league two of the last what eight seasons, and it's better than second place in seven of the last eight seasons. And so, also, yeah, yeah. just uh, on paper, like if you if you were not aware of the situation, you said to someone, Rangers have just sacked a manager who got them to a Europa League final last season. Who won the Scottish Cup? Won the Scottish <laughs> Cup. Has take, taken over a, a, like an aging and failing side. Yeah. Who basically don't half of the players don't I seem mean, to want to be at Rangers I mean, anymore. It, it sounds like the GL over, but you got them into the Champions League. Yeah, it got, exactly. I mean, the, the, I didn't think they had any right to win either of those ties against the Belgian team in, in PSV, but he managed that and the recruitment. Not just the not just the recruitment, the transfer dealings over the last few years have been like tantamount to manager abuse. You know what I mean? Like yeah, like not signing, selling and then not selling and then signing and the, terrible players. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. I mean, it's so and, and that's. I mean, we're probably like trying to make him a bit better because it's, it's it's funny if if they've done the wrong thing. And as I say, I I, I do not think that he would be close to the league this season. You know, it's just the way thing was going, I think. But he did at one I, point seem to have Angie's number, or it seemed to be that he looked, he knew how to play against uh, Angie's Celtic team. I, I think they were, like, and back in the last year, they, they were successful in it. And I think, but the way they lined up, like, in, in September, I think that was, again, that, that was the wrong choices. But then, he, again, he... he they kind of missed in that in January as well. And they, they kind of had a plan. And I think some of the players that have lost, I think Bassi was a big thing because he was perfect for that kind of aggressive style, to, you know, to kind of push up. And I think, you know, striker wise, uh, like even someone like, like Roof or Morales was there, like, like Kolak is just a big, you know, what's he going to do? He's, he's not going to press anything, is he? And, you know, they had decent pressers like Kent and stuff like that before. And but they kind of fallen off, so <laughs> so yeah. I mean, he's in terms of the, the derbies. Like, okay, you had the first one and the last one where they get Celtic is so effective and clinical and just blow them away. But the other games were like they're all really really tight, mm-hmm. and and that's the games that will determine the league in the end as well. And as and he had like a couple of. And it, like, if you look at X points and everything, like Rangers is exactly where they deserve to be. So this is not a case of, oh, he's just been unlucky or, or so on. Like they have the exact amount of points that they deserve to have. 
But I think it's a sense of they're nine points behind Celtic because Celtic have won 14 out of 15. And Celtic even are overperforming their X points as well, aren't they? They are a bit, right? So and I think we're doing a beyond the scoreboard this week, and we're gonna uh, I'm gonna put that to, to Alan and Gal as well to say, look, this something's overperforming a bit, and there's there's some explanations in there because of that in terms of the model works. So, but but they are, but Celtics had had an unbelievable start to the season, so I don't think Grange's points total is horrible, but it looks bad because Celtic has been so good. So is is that the circumstances you should sack a manager, a manager you've rearranged your whole backroom staff, the whole backroom staff that left, you know, just took them out. Everybody left for Aston Villa and then a whole new one comes in. So it's not, you're not just replacing a manager, you're replacing five, six people. Mm-hmm. So to do that now, and it must, I presume it is a throw of the dice to try and, and claw back something in the league. But, See, whoever you bring in, the first problem you have is the squad. The second problem is, say, if you bring in somebody who is... So Kieran talked about this on Agenda Day. So the one thing he was fearing was like some super hot shot. And it has been one mentioned in Farioli, who's, who's exactly a bit of a as well. But it's even... I don't think they will get either. But even if they do... It's not a magic wand, right? It's it's it, for them to mold a team into what they want. They will need time, and they will need a couple of transfer windows. In a sense, like Ange needed that as well. I think Ange managed to get Celtic to a position uh, just six points behind at Christmas by the exceptional manager he is, and then you had a good transfer window, and then you just kept going, but. Whoever Rangers bring in, even for for some reason they managed to bring in an incredibly good coach, still need time. So I think you, you still break it down and start up again, especially if you have a whole backroom staff again. So I, I, it, it maybe it was the last nice thing to try and win the league, but I don't think this has made it any more likely to win the league, to be honest with you. The, the so. difference with Ange, and this is what Rangers fans point out all the time, is it spent $30 million, but... We had thirty million of sellable assets to fund that, that's, which we just don't have. That's why you sell players. That's why you sell them at the right time. Yeah, Ange had money to spend, but that's because you sold Odson Edward, Christopher Ayer, Ryan Christie, and you, you know, like you freed up wages and all the charm. You, you lost Moyeli Nusi, who had scored more non penalty goals than Odson Edward the last season. You lost. You know, what are you starting left backs in, in Laxalt? Obviously, he's had a bad start, but Shane Duffy, he, he, Duffy, not the least. But he, so they could spend that money because they belatedly sold them. And it's not like that's just free money. That's there's like exceptional players going out that door. Mm-hmm. No matter what you've, you know, people say about them, but like Edward, I, Christy, they're all playing in the Premier League now as well. So to, to lose. That caliber of player, Elianusi as well, to lose that caliber of players, that's difficult. Like, Surely okay, you, you get you get the money, but it, you still have to replace them and, and make them play. So, and they don't have like they don't have an asset that could get them eight figures. I don't think there's a single asset in that team that could get them I mean, eight figures. That's the funny thing. They probably could have got eight figures if they sold at the right time. I think mm-hmm. probably for Ken, probably for Morelos. You should yeah. never know what kind of office was in, but so, even Barisic. Let's talk about, you know, 
being Juranovic sums for that point and and they get eight million for, for Nathan Patterson, but then they don't spend it on a, another right back because I think Darianna is going to be fine. Yeah. So and then this and they go and buy the players to they do this this summer, which I like. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's just you know none of them have really improved the team, have they? At all, so they <laughs> resign golds and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny because um, it is no people, and you do wonder if, who they're going to bring in. <laughs> you know, it's, it, people talk about like Sean Dyche and stuff like that, and you go, I think he'll, I think he'll get them to a level of where Van Bronckhorst is dice, but I can't, I can't see him. Okay, maybe they're going to like proper dice ball it. And trying to cause Celtic some issues in the derbies. Maybe he'll manage that in one or two derbies, but you're not going to beat every other team in the league by playing that way, you know, which I think Celtic will do. So being nine points behind, I mean, Celtic can technically lose the, all the derbies. There's probably still be ahead of goal difference. And I still fancy them more than anything to take more points against other teams than Rangers would so I'm not saying the league title is gone but it's I mean it's gone uh, it's gone okay it's gone whisper it it's gone so we're going to try Gal had said we're going to review the the rest of the SPFL the first part of the season which we haven't done but I think we can we can shelf that because obviously the big news stories that came out today about the armband and and part of what we we thought that was a good point is that on the beyond the scoreboard this week, we'll, we'll review Celtic, obviously. So we thought it might be a nice lead in to have a look at what the other teams are doing, like some of the standout players and comparison to Celtic. But yeah, it's you know, it's we can do it another time. We're here, we're here every week. Try the wheel, yeah. I've got, so, I mean, I've got an olive, yeah, an elevator, an elevator pitch for it, and that is they're all fucking shite plankton outside Celtic. They don't have good players. None of them have got good players. It's it's true by that Scottish Football League uh, director me again is that you know there's plankton, but it might be entertaining plankton. Yeah, entertaining. so so. But I'll, 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 I'll give you one um, one stat I was pleased with is that Lauren Shanklin has the highest. So I've kind of looked at okay, who, who's got the highest XG of all the teams, but how big a percentage of their teams XG. Does that play have? Lord Shanklin is forty nine percent of all hearts XG, which I think is, which I think is his virus. It was just like by far. But the surely that he's league. had about twenty penalties this season. No, this is oh my friend. Non penalty. You, you take me for a fool. Of course, this is non penalty XG. So if I had them as well, it'd be obviously uh, a lot more. So it's, that's the kind of fun stat you might just you know we'll tease you. With, it's like a cliffhanger. I can imagine yeah. you and a kind of Sheldon Cooper like fun with flags type that's YouTube show. Exactly. That's I love flags as well. That's the funny thing. I, I definitely do a fun with flag podcast. Um what did I tell about Daniel Armstrong at Kimarnock, who's had the highest XG and highest chances great. That's so that's something else to should we be signing him? Yes or no, yes or no. No. We should not be signing any one of these. Although your pal, you, you brought him up before, uh Boyjan, me Miofsky up at uh Aberdeen up there. You know, he's, he's, I mean, he's loving his granite, obviously, but he's, he's, uh, you know, XG per 90. He's non-penalty, of course. Sixth. You know, so. Bring hmm. him home. You know, who, 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 who Aberdeen's uh, biggest creator is? 
Uh, some, some, somebody I think Celtic should sign, actually. Johnny Hayes. Johnny Hayes. Is it actually Great. Johnny Hayes? It is actually Johnny Hayes. So <laughs> oh, that tells well. you something about them as well. So <laughs> that's the kind of nuggets you just... I, I've probably just given away all the nuggets now. So that's nugget giver. So so I was uh, so there was a rumour uh, the other day about Rangers uh, going after Liam Henderson. And uh, I, I, I sent Liam a message saying, like, <laughs> come on, tell me this is nonsense. And for the first time since I've ever in contact with him he's <laughs> left me on red so make of that what you will did you feel like you overstepped the boundaries there i don't know oh, i know i mean putting it along with a picture of my nips was maybe a bit yeah. much well he's replied to that before hasn't he your nips oh yeah of course every time so every time. we should say obviously uh you have liam henson's phone number because you, you did an excellent interview with him thank you you know for, for, for the new subscribers um and the, the, what, do you know what I really liked about that interview? I recorded it. You recorded it properly. So that's... Still hurts. Andrew Hinkle. It still hurts. <laughs> what, uh, was it, what, he was fired recently, wasn't he? I feel like... Yeah. 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 That's where he was. That's where I thought. Yeah. Um, maybe you can yeah. do another interview. So, you know, you know. Like, you think he wants to come to Stuttgart with us in 2024? I, I think he'd probably be there because he lives there. So There you there go. You go. I, uh, you know, sometimes when you you flash back to a memory and it may, gives you a full body cringe. That happens to me once a month about not recording that and can go interview properly. To be fair, I think you did record it, didn't you? You just I did, but I used the laptop mic instead of the actual mic that was sitting at, at two two inches in front of his face. And then they decided to use that poor radio quality to transcribe what was like an interview that took about an hour to read. Yeah, it took month. me it took me weeks to transcribe it. Was that like kind of like a penance? Like, like, that's just you felt you had to do that. Yeah. So going forward over the next few <laughs> weeks, we're going to we're going to analyze the World Cup from the things that are happening, the the bad things that are happening, and yeah. the football as well. And and some people out there might be like, "Oh, can we just not can can we just talk about the football?" And unfortunately, there's people in the world that are going to be watching this World Cup that can't just focus on the football. They will be focused on how their lives are impacted by. The kind of people that run Qatar. So we're going to, yeah. we're going to operate from that point of view. As, as I said, I really like John's kind of statement on in terms of I'm going to watch about, I'm going to be uncomfortable for it. And I think this is my kind of like, I guess, compromise to, to myself that you know, I still am going to watch it. But I think you can't really talk about the football without talking about all this stuff. And there's probably a small hypocrisy in that because did we do that to the same extent during Russia? Well, probably not, um, you know, and other things like that. But I, I, I think it is easy to forget how horrible a re- regime this is. And I think it's easy to forget that because you and me, Graham, we would have absolutely probably no problems in Qatar. You know, it's cause so, so it's not about how we would have it in Qatar uh, in, in terms of, you know, we're not a migrant worker. You know, we're not gay, we're not women, um, and everything. So us two and all people going to Qatar, we're absolutely fine. But that's not what it's about, isn't it? It's about how they treat those sections of, of their society and the way they do it. That's not just Qatar, but Qatar chose to go for the World Cup. They got it. So they absolutely deserve every single spotlight they have on them. And nothing... Anybody in the in the West anything have done in terms of all tracker record 
should be yourself what the battery for that. We should focus on that a lot more. And I think there's there's a lot, especially in Britain, especially in Britain, outside of Scotland, there's so many issues about not acknowledging the actual track record of Britain and what they've done, you know, in, in so many ways. And and even just Britain's record in, in propping up this guitar state, you know, <laughs> up until very, very recently, the fact that Britain deal with these countries, you know, and trade deals, Saudi Arabia sell weapons to them. Every, myself, everyone in Britain probably have some benefit from that in terms of those trade deals. So, so nobody's like having moral superiority here in any way, but still doesn't matter when we talk about Qatar and what kind of regime they actually are. It just doesn't, shouldn't distract an inch from talking about it and putting a spotlight on it because they did have the World Cup. This is how they're arranging the World Cup. So, no, fuck that regime. So I think we should just keep talking about it. Well, Chris, and despite the, the content, <laughs> the, the tone, it's been a pleasure. It's, well, that, overall, seriously, that's, I think, how we work. The content and the tone might be, uh, you know, yeah, interesting at times. You know? in the war. It's, uh, yeah, yes, that's what we are. Which one are we? To with the bridge? Is that maybe we are? Yes, or the killing. Yeah, some killing. I, I see the bridge because we're like you. I, I think you are more the Danish side. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe Swedish side, unfortunately. So. Yeah, I'm a great Dan. I've been <laughs> Gray McKay, and we'll catch you down the road.